really good to worship with you guys. Thank you. Good to make much of the Lord. Well, I don't think I need to remind the kids, K through 5, time to bolt. Um, happy Mother's Day, and um, thank you. I, I think Bobby said it, and I'm going to say it again. Funny thing, we both have mothers. Um, it is entirely fitting that we would, we would have a time set aside to make much of those who are our mothers, both, both physically and those, those who have been spiritual mothers in our lives. Um, I, I can't help but think it's just a little bit ironic um, because Mother's Day is maybe kind of the antithesis of mothers when you think about it. So Mother's Day, right, you honor your mom for what? Um, I talked to mine for about half hour this morning. Yeah, about a half hour where mom's the center of attention, right? And in the real world, right, mothering is anything but a part-time job, right? I mean, <laughs> all day, all night, all weekend, right? And mothers are so rarely the center of attention, right? I mean, so usually it's mom who's making sure you get your report done and mom who makes sure you get to soccer practice and, you know, who's going to get me to graduation? Well, mom, you know, and then she's going to sit and make much of somebody else. And so it's, it's sort of interesting to, to have a time set aside to say, well, rightly, this role of tremendous service um, to families, to the body, um, should be praised and should be lifted up. And so it's sort of, sort of fitting that we should be entering into the study of the book of Titus. Um, I was chatting with a, a guy named Isaac um, earlier today, and uh, we, were, we were deciding that neither of us had ever heard Titus preached on, preached through, uh, um, on a Sunday morning, which is kind of interesting. You know, it's, it's kind of the, the letter in the Bible that doesn't get much attention, right? Um, and I think... It's, it's very fitting that we sort of have an introduction on Titus, um, and maybe it's fitting it's on Mother's Day, because this is a book about sort of parenting, spiritual parenting, as it were. Um, and it's sort of interesting because we'll actually open this series on Mother's Day and close it on Father's Day, so maybe there's something fitting there. Um, Titus is different from most of the books we study in that Titus isn't written to, say, a whole church. So if you go to, say, the, the book of Ephesians, it was written to the church at Ephesus. If you go to the book of Philippians, it was written to the church at Philippi. And the author assumed that the, the whole church would be hearing it. So people who had been a believer a long time, people who were thinking about following Christ, they'd all hear it all together. And so what you see in Ephesians is this amazing, you know, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. You know, these overwhelming, beautiful things that he says. Um, Paul, when he writes Ephesians, spends three chapters talking about the beauty and the wonder and prayer. And then, then he sort of gets into practice, practical stuff. Titus was a letter written to a leader in a church. And Paul, same author, knew Titus was a believer. He knew he was a mature believer. And so he starts right in with, I left you there to do some specific things. And so I think it's really important to sort of have an introduction to this book um, so that we don't sort of hear it as rules 2.0, where the Ten Commandments left off, right? I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is not, this is, this is a lot of sort of practical, how do we live life as believers? And yet this is not 
hey, these rules, this will do it for you. Check off these 47 things and you will have it going on officially. It's not that. And so I think it's probably fitting to sort of pause and to talk about the difference between a trust and an obligation. Because Titus is a book that talks about a trust. We are being entrusted with something, which is probably why it's fitting to think of it in terms of Mother's Day and Father's Day. Children are a trust. And Titus has been entrusted with something. So both a trust, if, if I'm entrusting you with something, and an obligation are, are pretty similar when you think about it. You know, you get it from another person or entity, right? And it demands something of you, right? I mean, if I'm obliged to take out the trash, you know, I have to do something. If mom trusts me to go get chocolate chip cookies from the cookies? Yeah, from the, from the snack aisle. Well, I may like it more, but I, I'm still, something's expected of me and somebody's expecting it. So what's the difference? Well, when I think about it, I think of obligation in terms of sort of fear and consequences. You are obliged to pay your taxes. I've never heard anybody said, I, I feel entrusted to pay my taxes. So, you know, <laughs> you are obliged to pay your taxes, and if you don't, right, there's always that sort of, and if you don't, uh, there are going to be consequences, right? Uh, kids are obliged to go to school, and if they don't, there's this nice man named the truant officer that specializes in being not so nice, right? Um, so, a trust has the exact opposite connotation. It's about a privilege. It's about somebody giving you a gift that, that requires you to do something, but they believe in you. They, they see some potential in you, and that's why we call it a trust. And so I, I think it's very important, and what we'll do today, just uh, I'm, I'm going to be chatting for about 20 minutes with you. We'll respond in song, and then we've set aside time to read aloud the book of Titus together. Scott LeGraff will be doing that. Um, and I think uh, Roman, a few weeks ago, unpacked sort of, I thought, beautifully how valuable it is to hear the word of God proclaimed together and hear the entire thing, to see the entire picture. Because it was written as one thing, and you can imagine when Titus got this letter, he didn't say, oh, I'm going to read the first four sentences and put it away till next week, right? He read the whole letter. Um, so I think it's very fitting that we allow God's word to wash over us, but I think it's also fitting that we sort of think through carefully what we're hearing and the purpose sort of behind what we're hearing. So let's sort of go into sort of the classics. You, you ought to be sort of aware of who's writing the letter, where, who he's writing it to. So I've said previously Paul is writing a letter, and Paul is tricky. If, if you're fairly new to the Christian church, Paul is tricky. He starts out named Saul, okay? And uh, he was born about the same time as Jesus was born, which would be about two years B.C., about two years B.C., Paul's Saul at that time. He's Hebrew, and Hebrew is his, his Hebrew name is Saul. He ra he's raised in the Jewish faith, and he's very, very passionate, and he's becoming really important about the time that Jesus begins his teaching ministry, and then Jesus 
um, is crucified and raised from the dead about 30, 33 A.D. And what happens is, you know, 40 days after Jesus um, uh, rising from the dead, Jesus ascends into heaven, and he says, when I go, I will send the Comforter. I will send the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. Thousands of people in Jerusalem hear the news about Jesus being the Messiah, the one sent from God. Uh, Jerusalem is going crazy, and Paul doesn't like it. Sorry, I should say Saul. He's still named Saul at this time. Saul hates it, in fact. He thinks Jesus has just wrecked this beautiful Jewish faith that he has. And so he is so serious about hating this that he actually facilitates Christians being murdered. Uh, He actually goes town to town and goes to find people who believe in Jesus and gets them imprisoned, okay? Uh, So he is, he's hardcore, Saul is on one of these trips, he's on the road, um, on a donkey, and a light from heaven literally shines down on Saul. And it probably would have taken that for Saul, because he was hardened, opposed to Jesus. A light shines, he's knocked off his donkey, and a voice from heaven says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul later recounts this, he says, who are you, Lord? And the voice from heaven says, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Well, as you can imagine, that changed Saul's life from that day. He was very passionately opposed to the things of Jesus. And from that point on, he became surreally passionate for the things of Jesus. Um, This isn't in the Bible, but historians say that most likely he was married, his family disowned him, he gave up everything, traveled the entire known Roman world. And I think it's just important context that you know this character. When he went to the area that didn't speak Hebrew predominantly, that spoke Greek, um, he changed his name from Saul to Paul. And changing your name sort of also symbolizes a little bit of change of identity. You can see this guy changed his identity a ton. But Paul traveled all over the Roman world. And I think I actually have a map up here of the four different trips that he took that are written about in the book of Acts. And there are trips that that he took after the book of Acts, but you can see um, for a time you're traveling like on foot, donkey, by sailing vessel. This is a huge area to have traveled. And he planted churches. So, for instance, the, the church in Philippi, you know, Paul planted The church in Greece, Paul planted. Um, And so he had just a tremendous impact spreading the word of God. He also had a tremendous impact even today. The words we'll be studying today, God may have been the author, but Paul held the pen. And so of the 27 books in the New Testament, 12 or 13 of them are written by Paul. They're letters from Paul to these various churches that he was invested deeply in, that he was praying for, interceding for, that he was trying to unpack for them. How, what does this look like to be the family of God? What does it look like to be entrusted with being called a child of God? Okay, so that's the author. He's, he's writing the letter to a man named Titus. Um, we don't know much about Titus. He was somebody Paul trusted. Uh, Paul mentions him in uh, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, 2 Timothy, and we still don't know much about him. We know he was with Paul, 
um, uh, we know he, he wasn't forced to be circumcised because, he, um, because Paul was making clear that we didn't all have to become Jewish to follow Christ. Um, but I think the thing that we see a little more about in terms of the context of this letter is who he's writing to in general. So uh, Titus is on this island called Crete, which I have a picture of. It's in the middle of the Mediterranean. I looked at pictures this week. Uh, the beaches are nice. I think we should go. Uh, but this island had a pretty crazy reputation. And I'm just going to read you a line from Titus 1 where Paul is sort of warning Titus. He says uh, in verse 12, even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This is testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. So, uh, from my reading, it seems that Cretans had this reputation really across the Roman Empire as being people that really rejoiced in being liars, in exploiting people. Um, you know, uh, and, and maybe if you're at all familiar with the gypsy culture in Europe, um, uh, they, they will teach their children to be pickpockets and think, you know, and this is a part of, you know, this is a part of who we are. We steal from people. It's, you know, it's our identity. Uh, Cretans, their identity was, yeah, we're, we're shady folks and we're going we're gonna to get your stuff. Um, it's going to be great. Come stay at our beaches. No. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's the context of the people that Paul is writing to. But I think it's important to notice, going back to sort of our, our theme of being entrusted, this isn't written to Cretans who haven't believed. This is written to those people from this culture. And if you've ever sort of lamented that you're in a culture where, um, what, vice is lifted up as good, where people are encouraged to lie and deceive, well, this is your book, right? I mean, this is Paul writing to somebody in that kind of a culture to people who have been called out of that culture to be God's people in that place. And I think just, just one sort of, before we, we start looking through the book, one reminder, if your life is like mine, when you became, if, if you've become a serious follower of Jesus Christ, when that happens, initially a lot of things change pretty quick. It's sort of like, wow, um, okay, this, this ought to happen different. Um, my, you know, maybe there's this overt sin in my life. I'm going to have to repent. And, and really, there's, there's some dramatic things that change. And you see God doing big things. And I've seen the same thing in friends who come to faith. And it's like, wow, you know, this is amazing. This is beautiful. But God doesn't really intend for you to die there. Then there's year after year where hopefully you aren't repenting of these giant willful sins. Um, hopefully you're continuing in faithfulness. And I, I started to struggle, you know, maybe about 10 years about after, after I started following the Lord seriously. It's sort of like, okay, we're, we're going along and this isn't exciting some days. This is about the faithfulness of being the Lord's people when it's not sexy. Um, Titus is a book where there aren't any conversion stories. There aren't any great miracles. There isn't 
there isn't any exhortation to prayer. Um, this is about the faithful life of living out what it's like to be a child of God. And I think you'll see some beautiful things in it, but remember this book is assuming that you have that trust, that you have that relationship, in some ways that you've had that wonderful experience of freedom and discovering life in Jesus. So let's go through sort of the sections here, and each one of these we'll, we'll spend a week really enjoying, savoring, getting into what the Lord has for us. But I think it's just important to sort of see the big picture, and you'll hear this when Scott reads through it. So Paul starts out talking about who he is and the trust that he's been given to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, you could call it the gospel proclamation. The, the gospel being that, that announcement that there is a king and he is Jesus Christ and he has come for you. And so you see that amazing proclamation. And then Paul says, Titus, you know, he says, you're my true son in the faith. And I trust you to entrust leaders here to lead. And that's a great trust. And the danger is real. And that makes my trust greater in these people. Then we go into a section that talks about what it looks like to be God's household, to be a, a new household on earth. How, how should older men treat younger men? How should older women treat younger women and younger women older, older women? How should, how should husbands treat wives and wives treat husbands? How does this actually look to be entrusted to be a part of the family of God? And then uh, Paul broadens it, and he talks about what it looks like to be a new humanity, really, to be renewed, to interact with people differently. And this is a big deal for the Cretans, right? The Cretans, their, their whole identity is, yeah, we, <laughs> we uh, what is it? Uh, lie, steal, and chew, and go with girls who do? Is that how that? I forget. There was some, some song like that I learned when I was 12. Um, this is about being a renewed humanity. Now, uh, yet again, and if you're listening, Paul says it really clearly in here, but he doesn't beat you over the head with it at the beginning of the letter. This is not to earn rightness with God. This is because of our rightness with God, because we have been loved extravagantly. We have the trust to live out life as God's people. And I just want to read you uh, two more verses. This is from chapter 3. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done. Did you hear that? Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We have this opportunity to be a renewed humanity, not because of righteous things we've done. We are called to righteousness because of this washing and new birth that we have. And then the final week we'll have in this uh, it's titled, Entrusted to Good Works. Uh, it's particularly fun because that'll be our new senior pastor, Brent Bullard's uh, first Sunday as senior pastor here. But there is 
amazing privilege of good works God has prepared in advance for his people. And it's a delight, it's a blessing, and not a curse, and we should see it like that. So, one, one last illustration for you, for you graduates, and um, then we'll get on to worship and hearing Titus. Um, let's imagine you see monster.com or indeed.com, you see an advertisement for a human growth and development specialist. And this job, you know, it has flexible qualifications. You know, you can have a master's degree or a bachelor's. Uh, occasionally, people have PhDs doing this, but some don't even have a high school diploma. Um, now, the thing is, the, the hours are unpredictable. So there are some overnight shifts um, and no overtime, I should say. And uh, the, the work conditions are incredibly varied. Sometimes it's really pleasant, but sometimes um, sometimes you work with really irate people. In, in fact, uh, physically abusive, verbally abusive, uh, defecation is, just comes with the job. Um, and the weird thing is you don't get any extra pay for that. In fact, you get no pay at all. So, uh, just a show of hands, who, who wants that job? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, so that human growth and development specialist, usually we call her mom, right? <laughs> Yeah, and there's no pay. My wife wanted me to remember, you have to pay, actually, right? You have to pay for the privilege of this job. But it's all about the perspective, right? I mean, if you put that on Monster, you'd have no applications. The difference is the perspective. That is a trust. Being a mother, being a father is a profound trust. And it is a privilege and seeing it as that makes all the difference. Being a child of the Most High God is a profound trust. It is a profound privilege. And seeing it as that, seeing the richness of his love and his invitation for us to be a new humanity, his invitation for us to live a life of righteousness because it is good, because it is good to be in submission to him, because it is good to live a life in obedience to him, is a great freedom, is a great joy, a great privilege, and that perspective makes all the difference. So will you pray with me? Then we will worship in song and hear the wonderful book of Titus. Ah, Lord, I thank you for your profound word that is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. We pray that you would use this book to penetrate, to bring to life things that need to be brought to life in us, to cut out and kill things that need to die within us, because we want to be yours. We want to be a people set aside to be your very own. We praise you. We bless your name. Amen.